Hello, everyone, and welcome to Digital Roadmap, an old-school gaming podcast where we explore how the games of the past brought us the games that we love today. I'm your host, Grant, and today we're discussing the big three of the classic shooters, 1992's Wolfenstein 3D, 1993's Doom, and 1996's Duke Nukem 3D. Wolfenstein and Doom were both put out by id Software, and Duke was actually released by 3D Realms, a company that has since gone defunct. That's a whole other issue. That's a whole other topic unto itself. That being said, between these three games, we can see the foundation that every single first-person shooter has been built on since. As an added little fun fact, 3D Realms was actually formed by a group of ex-id Software members, which is why all three of these games kind of all tie together and why they all feel similar, like they all have the same kind of baseline to them. Now, obviously, I want to put a spoiler warning out for the games that we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about the story, what little they had, essentially, but also just spoiler for the games as well, even though you should have played them by this point. Now, the controls for these are pretty standard for first-person shooters. We've talked about them before, but some little quirks for it. So, obviously, your arrow keys instead of W, A, S, and D are used to move around. And the actual default in all of these games is that left and right turn you instead of step or strafe to the side. Now, the mouse, of course, is used to shoot your weapons. If there's an alternate shot, they're going to be used for that as well. The number keys are used to pick up your weapons, and I don't mean like the numpad or the function keys. I'm talking literally one one through nine. Usually, that'll use whatever weapons you've picked up. That'll move to different weapons, one being your default. Usually with infinite ammo, oftentimes a very close-range fist weapon. And in a little bit of a quirk in Wolfenstein and Doom is moving the mouse what would otherwise be up and down actually moves you forward and backwards, whereas in Duke, it's your more standard look controls like we did, like we've looked at in the past with other shooters. Now, the gameplay loop for these games are all pretty much the same. You move through the level to reach the end. Now, it's not always a straight line. Sometimes you have to go around in different directions. You have to go find a key that'll unlock the door that seems like the straight line, but it's locked. You have to go over there to get a key, come back, open that door. Everything in the game is trying to kill you. None of these games have allies. None of these games have sidekicks that are protecting you in any way. Just monsters, just enemies trying to put you down but while you go around you pick up different guns you pick up ammo for your guns you get health pickups you get armor pickups all to help you kill back the things that are trying to kill you you just have to outkill that which is trying to kill you which is a fun way to go ultimately each episode of these games because they did all come episodic all in their own batch mind you represents a section of the story or a story unto itself each of the episodes tend to build on or move that story forward some way Usually in a little bit of text, you're not going to get much in the game itself. For example, on Doom, you start the game in Mars on a base, and then you move into Hell and beat up Hell. In Duke 3D, you start in LA, and then you move around to different locations. Wolfenstein, you start in a prison, you move on to labs, eventually take down giant Hitler. Usually, there's going to be some sort of big button in its own tiny little room signifying that you've hit the end of a level. You go into this room, you hit a button, you throw a switch, you crack some glass, it brings up your end level screen with all your little stats that you've gotten throughout it. Now, as for the mechanics, the foundation of it all is that each weapon does a different amount of damage. So the newer the weapon you get, the higher the damage rate it's going to do. Some of the really big ones also do some level of splash damage. You know, you get certain shotguns that'll hurt the guys around the guy you're aiming at. You have your rocket launchers or BFGs or what have you that are really going to hurt the main thing you hit and then do a lot of damage to the guys around it. Now, the players and the enemies do have a health value that determine how many hits they can take. As I said, throughout the game, you usually pick up armor of some sort that'll help you survive more. The enemies don't scale quite as quickly as your weapons do in terms of the damage they're putting out. But yeah, instead of leveling up, you don't get health perks throughout the game that give you more health. You don't get bonus armor. You just get what's lying around. Usually there's more lying around as you go on. But the only per- only real leveling, the only real scaling is that you get the bigger, more powerful weapons and you rely on the pickups. Now, the enemies do do more damage as you move along, but you do more damage and you've learned how to control yourself better. 
So your progress in this is completely skills-based, something that you don't see as much nowadays. Nowadays, you see a lot of stat-based progress. You see, hey, you've gone through three levels. You've hit X number of XP in it. What perk do you want to make you better? This one is purely skill-based. You have to get better at dodging. You have to get better at understanding the enemy, and you have to just push harder. Now, one of the ways they do reward investigative players, diligent players, is that they do have secrets hidden around the map. And you can really only find these by trying to hit every wall, every decoration, as if it's a door. There are actually clips out there of people going around just constantly tapping the action key on a wall to try and find one little secret that they figure must be there somewhere. Now, Duke does have a few different puzzles where you need to trigger a switch here to open up an area over there. For the most part, though, it's just finding the, the wall section that will open up to give you your perks. Now, one thing Duke Nukem did that set itself above the other two is that it did allow you to exploit the enemy AI a lot more than the other games. Prime example being that you had trip mines that you could set up, say, place them in the narrow hallway that you know the enemy has to go down or something, or you know there are enemies down there. Throw down a grenade to get their attention as opposed to hurt them. They'll start coming down towards you. You let them get a, a shot in your direction, get out of the way around the corner. They'll come up, they'll trip the trip mine, blow up. It just allowed a little bit more creativity, a little bit more unique use of the environment as opposed to just shooting. And this really shows that this game came out three years later than Doom, so it showed an evolution of the gameplay mechanics of the gameplay potential. Now, graphic-wise, none of these games are stunningly rendered 3D. They're all very pixely, very sprite-based. I talked about in the last episode, actually, that most of them were actually flat sprites, so you had a front, maybe a back to the villains. Limited what you could go after. Now, as the games go on, each one is better than the last. Wolfenstein was very basic, very straightforward. The textures and the environments were very limited. You didn't have much variety in the individual levels, a little bit of details, a little bit of decorations in each room. Also, it had a real-world basis, so there's only so much they could really exert. Like, yes, I know there's Robo Hitler as you get to the end of the game, but the overall design of it was supposed to evoke World War II Germany. So you had to go for that overall aesthetic. You had to go for that overall look of the German architecture at the time in terms of paneling and floors and everything doom definitely had a more stylized look and it does stand out more that way especially once you get beyond your first episode where you get start descending into hell then it gets really off the rails and it gets very flesh-based very this very that very unique weird looks to it that i love now by duke nukem you've got your z access to look around on you can look up and down you're not just going forward and backwards they had an ability to get more creative they actually had flying enemies that you needed to track and follow with your eye to and they still took advantage of it. They enjoyed it. They embraced the potential for this. It, again, it's still pixel graphics. And I mean, it's Duke Nukem. Duke is intended to be a bit of a satire of 80s action dudes. So there is a level of camp and cheesiness in the environments. There are some gentlemen's clubs that you can go into. And they reflect that in there. But for the most part, it's still, like I said, very pixel graphic, very sprite-based graphic in the way they were doing things. Giving to charity is a good thing. Giving to charity and getting a game in return is an even better thing. With The Humble Store, you can do just that. When you buy from The Humble Store, a portion of every purchase goes to charity. It doesn't matter if you buy a single game, one of their game or book bundles, or their monthly bundle deal. Every purchase helps out a great cause. Humble includes a wonderful collection of new releases, indie darlings, and even the time-tested classics. Games like Orwell, where you serve as a member of a government surveillance program, deciding the information to pass up the chain of command? Do you ignore the context and make someone look like just an unhinged killer? Or do you ignore your instincts, even at the risk to public safety, just to make sure you don't give the wrong details? One of the classics that I love and I keep going back to is Fallout, the original. It's a post-apocalyptic game that launched the whole series. 
Can you find the water chip needed to save your people before time runs out? And I don't even want to get into the rest of the story after that happens. After you win your objective, there's a whole other story that pans out that's also very crucial. And as an added bonus for listeners of this podcast, if you buy anything after following the link in the show notes, a small portion of your purchase is going to be given to the show. This helps support the kind of content you're listening to right now, helps offset some of our hosting costs. So if you were looking for a new game or to get a classic that won't run off the discs anymore because it just doesn't run on modern systems, go to the Humble Store using the links in the show notes and get something for your donation. Now, we're going to go through the story of all three of these games. Fortunately, the stories are relatively light in their first entries. Not like they've gotten now, so it'll be a little bit easier to go through. Looking at Wolfenstein first, because that came first, you're basically a Jewish-American-slash-Polish soldier named B.J. Blaskowitz. So as you can imagine, with all that background, this war is somewhat personal for you. And you've been captured during World War II and need to escape from the POW facility, Castle Wolfenstein. While you're escaping there, you realize that there's some occult science hybrid experiments going on, and you realize that being the only one strong enough to escape from there, you're the only one who can stop these from happening. So instead of going out the front door and back to the war front, you start descending down into the depths of the castle and you kill a bunch of Nazis and you kill Hitler and you kill Hitler and you kill Hitler. You actually kill him multiple times throughout the game. And essentially the goal at the time is that you're essentially stopping the Nazi war machine from completely overrunning Europe and taking over the West in the continuity of what's become Wolfenstein. That does end up being the case, but we'll get into that as we look at the legacy that these games have had. Now in doom, you are generic doom guy you are a space marine soldier posted to a security detail on mars for a private company because you hit your superior officer and this all takes place in the far distant year of oh would you look at that 2019 now you're basically helping out united aerospace corporation and they have tried to figure out teleportation between locations but instead of doing that they accidentally open a portal to hell and demons start pouring out so the whole plot is you are now to kill all the demons take the fight to hell, and shut everything down so they can't take over our our universe, our reality. Now, for Duke Nukem 3D, this is unlike Wolfenstein, which took place in a non-sequel follow-up to a game that already existed. Duke Nukem 3D took the first two iterations of Duke Nukem that were 2D side-scrollers, and their story continues on from there, where after taking the battle to space, Duke comes back to Earth, finds that LA's been under attack from aliens. He fights the aliens across LA, across the moon back to LA, throughout other cities of Earth. Basically, as expansions are added, they added in more locations for you to fight in. And, you know, that's basically the plot right there, is you're fighting aliens and taking back Earth because America. But that fits because this is very much meant as a parody of not only the shooters of the time that were just blood and action, but also the classic action man, you know, Steven Seagal, Patrick Swayze, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell, action flicks of the 80s. So much so they're referencing some of the obscure ones. A lot of the lines that he mentions in the beginning of the game are from these classic 80s action flicks. It's done with love, but it's still very campy, very cheesy, and very hammy, for lack of a better phrase. Like I said, these games don't have a very deep, very engaging story at this point in their legacy. They're the first ones. They're kind of breaking ground in a genre. They're more focused on that. Now, for the soundtracks, I'm going to be very straightforward with this. This is my own personal ranking. Not everybody's going to agree with it. Not everyone's going to think I'm ranking it the right way. I know one person that already wants to fight me over it. But these are my own opinions, and you're free to disagree. This is just how I do it. I'm going from worst to best. Keep in mind, that's all relative. And, in fact, it is very relative because these were all scored by Bobby Prince. He was the sound 
sound designer and composer for all three of these games, basically moved from id over to 3D Realms, so he was on all three of these games. Now, the least of the three is basically Wolfenstein 3D. It Part of the issue is that it was very limited by the fact that you're basically dealing with internal speakers, maybe simple, simple sound cards at the time. So there's only so much you could really do with it. Now, it does a good job of evoking the setting and the feeling of escape. It has a very Bavarian feeling to it, if you know what I mean by that. Like, it's a very German composer sound to it in a good way. There's a few times that it sounds almost more like a beer hall than anything else. And you're like, eh. I mean, yeah, drinking beer and shooting Nazis is fun, but is that really high action music? After that is Duke Nukem 3D, which was not just Bobby Prince, but Lee Jackson as well. It has a very high action, very badass feel to it. Right from beginning to end, it makes you feel like a hero all the way through. You're, Like I said, this game is meant to evoke those action flicks of the 80s that players at the time had really come of age watching. And it's very much like that. It's very much that action flick soundtrack that you want to see, or I guess want to hear. Now, as for Doom, it was Bobby Prince. He was coming off Wolfenstein 3D. It was still MIDI, but you had a little bit more dynamic with it. Most MIDI cards were more dynamic at this point. You could get more creative with it. And this soundtrack was much more stylized, much less restricted. And because they'd had Wolfenstein 3D as a success, they had some freedom, and it became a very metal soundtrack. And the reason I rank this as the top of the three is because that opening theme, it is the Doom soundtrack. You have heard it anywhere Doom's been used over the years. It is the best opening theme of them all. I don't know how many people are going to disagree with me on that, but you hear that riff. You recognize it right away, and it gets you pumped for the shotgunny action that you're about to get into. Now, as for Wolfenstein and for Doom, both BJ and Doom Guy are silent protagonists. They don't have any voice work in the games. You have a little bit of PC speaker work with the enemy voices, but that's about it. It's mostly grunts and groans as they get shot. The only real voice acting here comes from John St. John, in Duke Nukem 3D, and, I mean, he plays the role great. He loves the role, and it shows, because he still did it with Duke Nukem Forever, and it is very much that alpha male, ass-kicking sound to him. He just, I would, like I said, I would put him upside Kurt Russell in Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. Like, it's that kind of bad guy, I'm an anti-hero, I'm here to blow stuff up, because that's what I gotta do type sound to him that I love. Now, all three of these games, very fortunately, actually are lucky in that they've all three had modern revivals go on within like the last few years i'm gonna get to the elephant in the room first talking about them and that is duke nukem forever the name itself became a joke i've talked about it before with my friend who bought the full retail price of it before it was ever came out when it was just announced and kind of got burned for that in the long run and that's because it took 15 years from the time this game was announced to the time it finally came out now the main problem for it was feature creep which basically means they kept trying to add more and add more and add more to the gameplay as it went on from the lead designer. And there was nobody there that had the oversight, that had the control over him to tell him no, because he was also the big boss of the company. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. There's actually a great article Wired did about this. I managed to track it down. It is absolutely worth a read. It explains a lot of this in depth. Now, the game finally did come out under a different company. It's not a great game, but it's also not as bad as it gets knocked for. It does get looked down upon mostly because it took 15 years, but really after 15 years, I knew at the time nothing was ever going to measure up to expectations. And EB did do, or GameStop, depending on where you're from, did do a great PR move, which was they honored all of the pre-orders that had receipts for this game when it came out. So anybody that had ordered it 15 years before, if they still had their receipt, the store would honor that as a valid pre-order, which was just a smart business move on their part. After that, we had Wolfenstein, the new order come out. And this did something unthinkable. It managed to tie together all of the canon of Wolfenstein games. The original Wolfenstein 3D, Return to Castle Wolfenstein that came out in the early 2000s, 
this game, the game's going forward, it's all canon. And basically the Nazis have actually won the war, and now you're fighting as a very small member of a resistance group as they rule the world with an iron fist. Basically, BJ at this point becomes a rallying point of someone who survived through it and very much is still in that war mentality, and he is a one-man army. He leads this through. You have some allies with you, but usually you're the head of the spear driving through the battle. Now, there is actually one bed in the hub area that allows you to have, quote-unquote, nightmares of your time as a POW, and that's taking you back to the first level of Wolfenstein 3D. Everything around you is the old pixel graphics, except for your hands and the gun you're holding are done in the current 3D model, which is actually a really cool way to do it. And it's this game is very, very story-based, and the levels move from plot point to plot point. So each major plot point, each major beat becomes a new level in the game. And finally, of the three, we have Doom, which has been dubbed Doom 2016. And you are some ancient warrior in special armor that the demons of hell have trapped after you went on a rampage in hell before. And United Aerospace Corp basically wakes slash summons you to fight the hell spawn that they've accidentally let loose on, on the planet Mars. And this game actually embraced the old style of gameplay. It is very focused on fast combat, driving you with forward momentum. You have to keep going forward. You have to keep going after the enemies and facing them head on because most of your pickups that you're going to get are dropped from enemies for doing these stylish kills where you mostly kill them, hit another button, and it goes into a big flourish kill and stuff comes fountaining out of them like health and ammo. There's times where the only way you're going to be able to keep fighting, the only way you're going to be able to make it through this one particular room is if you get up close and personal like that because you will run out of ammo beforehand. Now, if you want to talk about the influence that these games have had, the trio of them together, pick a shooter. Pick any of the first-person shooters that are out there. These have formed the backbone of that entire genre. This is the structure that they're all built upon, whether they admit it or not. They may look at one, something slightly more modern, but the foundation is laid in these three games. These established it. These made it mainstream. Any developer working nowadays pretty much started playing with these games, so much so that you can actually still get original maps for the original Doom put out to this day. Some of the original creators have put them out as well. That shows how much support there is for that scene. That shows how much support these games have gotten. Now, if we're talking about the individual games and the influence they've had, Duke Nukem, you can basically see his influence on the Serious Sam series, where with just that over-the-top action, over-the-top campiness, just having a blast with everything. Doom guy himself was the first Space Marine. Halo, the um, even the Battlefront or Battlefield 20-whatever series, you know, the Space Ones. There's a Space Marine all of a sudden. Anybody that's fighting aliens, they can look at Doom Guy as the source of that. And as for Wolfenstein, how many of these games are set in World War II? How many shooters have we seen in World War II? This established that that's a great setting and you can get a lot of mileage out of it. So much so that we have gotten fallen out of love with that era, gone through a whole era of modern warfare, and come back to World War II as a valid setting. Now, manuals, there's not much to talk about with these games. All three of them were shareware titles, so if you got the print version of the game, they gave you some basic backstory so you know why you're fighting. But otherwise, it's weapons information as to what the weapon looks like, enemy information of what they look like. I mean, that way you know what you, they are when you come across them in the game, but otherwise, that's it. There's not really a lot to talk about with them. There's no real universe building outside the basic plot elements. That's all there is to it. Now, obviously, I'm going to recommend all three of these games. They have a very warm place in my heart. They have a very warm place in the legacy of shooters in general. All three of them are either pretty cheap or free. I'm going to have links in the show notes, of course. So, you know, get the get them. Take some time to play them. They're pretty quick, enjoyable games. It's just basically mindless action, and it's a blast. 
And so that's it for our big three shooters. Thanks for joining me this episode. And if you want to reach out, you can do that on Twitter at Roadmap Podcast. Come by the website, roadmappodcast.com, the Discord channel, Facebook page. All of those are going to be in the show notes for this episode. While you're visiting, feel free to suggest some older games that we should play. Maybe share some of your favorite memories of these shooters. Maybe the time you sat around with a group of friends and just blew through Doom in a night. Or just ask some questions. I'm always there to answer questions as well. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening right now, make sure you're subscribed so you can get the next episode when it comes out. Speaking of next episodes, we're going to be looking at the history of Maxis Software, uh, basically the house that Will Wright built, because that's going to be a lead up to a look at the original Sims, the beginning of that franchise. This has become such a juggernaut and notorious for the expansions that have come out with the series that I want to go back and I want to look at really where it all started. So we're going to do that over the next two episodes. Come back then and thanks so much for listening.